Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Greetings. I'm Declassified Dave. I'm Mystery Mike. I'm Slick Frank Sanders. Join us on the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour Mondays, where we look into the dark secrets of the conspiratorial world. We'll explore the likes of government cover-ups, the existence of otherworldly beings, unexplained phenomena, and cryptids. We tackle these topics with an open mind, a sense of humor, and dapper drippage. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and listen on all podcast platforms. A chilling murder. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. Today we're going to be talking about another harder, incredibly intriguing, but again, the details in this will be difficult. This is a famous Austin case of four teenage girls found dead in an incinerated yogurt shop. This is the yogurt shop murders. On December 6th, 1991, it was a chilly Friday night in Austin, Texas. 15-year-old Sarah Harbison and her 13-year-old friend Amy Ayers, or Ayers, again, apologies if I get names wrong, were at North Crest Mall in downtown Austin. Again, like you do in 1991. They were milling around, shopping, just kind of killing time until Sarah's sister Jennifer and her friend and co-worker Eliza Thomas, both 17, were done with their late shift, which would end around 11 p.m., Jennifer and Eliza worked at the I Can't Believe It's Not Yogurt Shop, located in the Hillside Strip Mall, blocks away from North Cross Mall. I Can't Believe It's Yogurt is something that I was familiar with. But again, it's a very, it's kind of a heavier Texas chain founded in 1977. It's a pretty cool job to have, I can imagine, as a teenager. You know, easy, kind of fun. I would also imagine Sarah was excited that around 10 p.m. when she went to help Jennifer and Eliza close up that she was, you know, getting ready for her weekend. It was Friday night. They were all four going to go to a friend's for a sleepover party afterwards. It's 
it feels like a very, and this I think is what gets me too. It feels like a very like typical nineties thing that I would have absolutely been a part of and could see myself in this specific time and place. Just before midnight, Austin police department officer Troy Gay was patrolling the area. He noticed smoke rising up from the strip mall. Gay reported it as a fire and firefighters soon arrived on the scene. As they were extinguishing the blaze, they saw it wasn't just a fire, it was a murder scene. Jennifer, Sarah, Amy, and Eliza were dead. All of the girls were naked and bound, gagged with their own clothing. Jennifer, Sarah, and Eliza were found deep in the store in a kind of supply closet clustered into one corner. Eliza and Sarah were stacked on top of each other while Jennifer lay close by. All the girls' legs were spread wide open. One body had an ice cream scoop placed on it. They were all shot in the back of the head execution style with a twenty-two lead bullet. Sarah's hands had been tied behind her with a pair of underwear that she'd also been gagged with, and she was raped. Jennifer was not bound, but her hands were behind her back. Eliza had been gagged, and her hands were also tied behind her. Their bodies were burned almost beyond recognition, with napkins and other flammable items from around the shop on top of them, clearly used to help burn their bodies. They were also doused in lighter fluid. The fire was so bad in the room, Austin reporter Dick Ellis recounts, they melted the top rungs of a heavy aluminum ladder in the back of the store. Amy's body was discovered alone in a room closer to the main dining area. She was not as charred as her friends, but she received second and third degree burns on 25 to 30% of her body. She was found with a sock-like cloth around her neck. She had been raped, shot similarly to the others, but the bullet had missed her brain. She had a second bullet, which did go through her brain, hitting her cheek and exiting through her jaw. Based on the patterns in the rooms, the killer may have stacked all four bodies on top of each other, but Amy had pulled herself off and managed to crawl out to a different part of the store. There was $540 missing from the store itself. Police also deduced that the two guns had been used to commit the murders, suggesting they were multiple killers. In the days after, I mean, everyone was obviously incredibly upset, but of course, and like a lot of cases that we talk about, lots of mistakes were made and lots of people were suspects. The police department had over 300 suspects initially and lots of false confessions right out the gate. The first suspect was a 15-year-old named Maurice Pierce, who was caught with a 22 handgun in North Crest Mall the same night as the murders and the same gun used to kill at least one of them. Eight days later, he was brought in. Although he initially gave promising information after tough questioning, detectives decided Maurice was trying to get himself out of a gun charge and eliminated him and his three friends that he had implicated. Michael Scott, Robert Springsteen, and Forrest Wellborn. All of them were under 17. When Pierce's gun was tested, the ballistics showed it didn't match the murder weapon. Also, fingerprints and hair collected from the crime scene didn't match any of the 14s. Eventually, the investigators just moved on. Still, Austin looked feverishly around for the person or people who could have done such a terrible thing. White ribbons honoring the girls adorned countless trees across the city. A group of entrepreneurs offered a $100,000 reward to anyone who could help provide a tip that led to the successful prosecution of the perpetrators. But let's talk about the fire for a second. The firemen who responded to the call did their job. Let's talk about the fire. The firemen who responded to the call did their job and in the process were very likely tampering and destroying a crime scene, but they didn't know that at the time they were just trying to put out a fire. In the early 1990s, Austin needed all the help they could as they lacked honestly a lot of different expertise that they really should have had for a case as complicated as this. It was a small forensic unit. According to True Crime Files, the Austin Police Department only had one fingerprint unit and only one homicide investigator on shift the night of the murders. So not only was so much destroyed, but in the wake of that, they had such a small group of people trying to help them solve this. 
they were already at a huge disadvantage. Several years later, a new detective on the case decided that Maurice, Michael, Robert, and Forrest were still credible suspects and re-questioned them. They actually got confessions from Springsteen and Scott, who said that all four of them had participated in the murder and had lit the fire that destroyed the yogurt shop. No record was kept of exactly what was said to the men in the original questioning, which is incredibly frustrating. And eight years later, it was really hard to know whether detectives had knowingly or unknowingly supplied details to these now men who were confessing, perhaps based on what they had been talking with the detectives years earlier. Really confusing. The authorities tried twice to indict Wellborn for the murders, but they lacked the evidence to link him to the crime. So all the charges against him were dropped. Charges against Pierce were also dropped due to lack of evidence, which was particularly hard because the police and the victim's families really thought for a while that he was the mastermind behind the crime. Michael Scott and Robert Springsteen were brought to trial entirely on their statements. The prosecution went into great detail and at length kind of told about the horrific nature of the crimes, but there was no hard evidence linking the crime scene to the confessions. Both were convicted and Scott was sentenced to death. Springsteen got life because he had been only 15 at the time. The prosecution's tactic of using excerpts of each one's alleged confessions at the other's trial was also incredibly problematic. They violated the confrontation clause because the co-defendant was non-testifying. So the confrontation clause news to me, says that in all criminal prosecutions, the accused should enjoy the right to be confronted with the witnesses against him. Generally, the right is to have a face-to-face confrontation with the witnesses who are offering testimonial evidence against the accused in a form of a cross-examination during a trial. I don't feel like this happens a lot. This seems like news to me. I feel like there's a lot of cases where people are, you know, testifying as witnesses and the guy or woman, whomever, is not there in front of them. There was something that was happening that for the men's statement and confession that the jury knew or didn't know, and everything was pretty muddied. Both convictions were overturned on the confrontation clause alone, and the men were freed in 2009. The prosecution insisted they would be retried. However, timely DNA evidence showed that despite their so-called confessions to rape, none of their DNA was found on the victims. There was DNA that was found on two of the victims, but it was not theirs, or any of the foremen questioned, for that matter. There was no retrial, but Texas courts later decided that the men were not entitled to compensation because they had not totally proven that they didn't commit the crime. It's like a congratulations, you're free, but also you're under suspicion. Then the men openly admitted their confessions were coerced. One of the detectives in the interrogations, Hector Polanco, had been accused of coercing false confessions in another case, a pretty notorious one, according to my research, of Christopher Ochoa and Richard Danzinger, two men who were implicated by men, I mean teenagers, implicated on Ochoa's false confession by Polanco. Both Ochoa and Danzinger were released after 13 years in prison. Danziger was assaulted in prison, which resulted in permanent brain damage. Seven jurors from the trials have stated that they would not have convicted the men had this evidence been available at the time. Again, it kind of chips away at these four men's cases that they were the murderers. To add to this, a photo came to light of another member of the Austin Police Department pointing a gun at Scott's head during his interrogation. Despite a lengthy police investigation and arguably, you know, an outraged community, the murders remain unsolved. So who did it? Whose DNA was found at the scene? Let's take a break and we'll get back to it. Today's episode is sponsored by Best Fiends. Though we love what we do, Jason and I don't just Google true crime and weird history all day. Sometimes we need a freaking break. That's when I close my computer and pick up my phone for a little Best Fiends. Have you heard of it? 
You should because it's gotten over 100 million global downloads. We're huge fans of it, and you should be too. Best Fiends challenges your brain with fun puzzle levels, but it's not like this huge thing. It's casual. You can play one level or 17, whatever time allows for. There are enough stresses in our life right now. Don't let a game stress you out. Best Fiends is also a game anyone can play. Literally, it is for adults, but honestly... Anyone can and enjoy themselves. Let me break it down. Best Fiends is an awesome mobile puzzle game and honestly different from anything I've ever played. It engages my brain, it's fun, and is whatever type of commitment you want. It's so low maintenance, you don't even need the internet. The internet. Speaking of internet, I was playing Best Fiends just to chill one day. I'm close to level 200 and my power went out. And honestly, I did not even notice. I played and like relaxed and I was off the grid and it was so fantastic. I only noticed I had no power or internet when it came back on and I had to get back to whatever I was doing at the time. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, hello, how are you? Hello. Hi. Checking in. Checking to see if you're okay. Are you okay? I just had my very first impossible burger. Yeah, that's true. I was there. I witnessed it all. Yeah, and it's it's pretty good. I've always wanted to try it and I mm-hmm. did, and it was really good. Yeah. It's good. So ever since I've went vegan and had a plant-based <laughs> yeah, diet, let me tell you about that. No, I'll you know I'll I'll put it like in a YouTube video and mm-hmm. kind of a yeah. tutorial. Possible burger. What blew my mind? It was it was very good though. It was good, yeah. right? Yeah, it was a good. It was a it was a good good time. Yeah, I mean it's it's a, a nice break for me. I've been talking near constantly about GameStop, so it was a nice break for me. By the time this airs, who knows where I'll be financially. But it's an exciting time for all of us, I guess. We want to say hello to our government mm-hmm. to believes in impossible burgers or they believe in the impossible. Or, but you don't have to have one. They're yeah. very, very fair. By the names <laughs> of Brandon Gaddis, Ashley Matson, Ben Forsyth, our mayors, and our esteemed governor, mm-hmm. Chris Witt. Witt. <laughs> That's good. That, that was a good, good one. Yeah, it was it up a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I mean, Chris Witt. I'm just sitting here appreciating hear, hearing the names of our beautiful government roll off your tongue into the ether. And if you would like to be part of the government or part of the community of Patreon, it's patreon.com slash ghost town pod. Mm-hmm. Bonus episodes, early access, ad free. Ad free. No chit chat about Impossible Burger. None of that. This is probably the most. Most least important thing I've ever brought up 
ever. And I, I bring up some pretty. I well, you have. I, I think I bring up a lot of banal bullshit. But you're right. I finished the Night Stalker documentary. <laughs> oh yeah. I want to talk about that. Ooh. I think we need to do it for a Ghost Town versus episode. Ooh, I like that. I like that. It's really because it's just an LA story. It's 1980s for sure. Yeah, I want to talk about that. We should do next time we record. We should do. I'll finish it because yeah. I met the two the yeah. investigators, and so, I have a lot to say about them. Well, I, I'm I watched it on a Netflix thing, <laughs> and I'm a male, so I'll t- I'll take the lead on that. Okay, one. got Thank it, got you. it, got it. I don't want um, you confusing it with I don't know <laughs> exactly what what is that? Is that shopping? Mm. Is that a low carb? Yeah, I, that sounds like me. I would also I want to talk about surviving death too. That's kind of our ghostly uh, appendage, perhaps of the show. I don't know what I'm talking about. I need to get some sleep. But that's really interesting. And they talk a lot about stuff that we talk about. They talk about, too, the first ghost photograph ever taken, which we talk about on, I forget what episode. Pretty recently. Pretty recently. But they have a really interesting take on that. And so I have an interesting take on their interesting take. We'll put it in the Patreon. I also drove past or was very near the Santa Susanna. Oh. We did an episode on that, right? Yeah. Santa Santa Mm -hmm. Susanna, uh, was it the nuclear? Yeah. Yeah. I was- was, That was an old episode. Yeah, that was an old, but I drove past it. I was like, huh, we did an episode on that. Eventually, eventually, we'll do so many episodes on so many different things that we'll be like, oh, you know. I don't, I barely remember my own name. When we do, I guess, the Impossible Burger Mystery. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be great. That'll be intriguing. That'll be a lot of fun. But we can't talk about burgers right now. We have to get back to yogurt and the deaths around a yogurt shop. We are back and talking about this horrific, tragic murder of these four teenage girls. Incredibly upsetting, but most upsetting because they could never the the police the Austin police department could never get a handle on who did it and we'll talk about this too a little bit later the new technologies just seem to confuse people even more and not be helpful and have people revert back to old suspects where you know they might be dead ends whereas you know if they could find a new lead or a new piece of dna you know like dna evidence that they could use that would be a, a better way to go they were at a loss. People that murdered these four women, girls, could have been Maurice Pierce, Michael Scott, Robert Springsteen, Forrest Wellborn, but they would have had DNA there. But it's also weird that Maurice had the exact weapon that one of the girls was murdered with on the exact night of the murder. Did they did they get coerced into confessing? Probably, right? You don't usually take a photo of a gun, a cop gun to your head and it not be a high pressure situation but in general they could never really be linked to the case it could have been kenneth allen mcduff a texas serial killer suspected of at least 14 murders he was convicted of murdering three teens on august 6 1966 robert brand mark dunman and edna lewis sullivan these killings were called the broomstick murders because edna's neck was broken with a broomstick and she was repeatedly raped he was charged and sentenced to death but it was also changed to life with the possibility of parole in 1972 after the U.S. Supreme Court abolished capital punishment. Then, due to prison overcrowding, McDuff was paroled in 1989, which is unbelievable. Authorities now think that after his release, McDuff committed many other murders, including the killing of Melissa Ann Northrup, a 22-year-old Texan, in 1992. Finally, McDuff was recaptured and due for execution on November 17, 1998. On the day of his execution, McDuff confessed to the yogurt shop murders. 
again, maybe to spare his life, maybe because he really did it, maybe to do some cause some kind of commotion that would stop what was happening that day. It did not. His execution was carried out as scheduled. After Macduff's death, the authorities investigated his confession, but ruled him out when fingerprints and hair collected from the yogurt shop couldn't be linked to him. Some people think the killers are actually two unidentified customers who were in the yogurt shop at closing time. The police interviewed 52 customers who visited the store on the day of the murders, but two men who were witnesses placed there at closing time have never been found. Three customers who left the store just before closing said on their way out they noticed two men sitting in a booth not looking like they were leaving anytime soon. At least one of the customers then saw Jennifer lock the front door and put up a closed sign so no more customers would enter while her and her coworker closed up. The two men in the booth remained there while all the other customers left. Witnesses described the persons of interest as follows, quote, One has lighter hair, maybe like a dirty blonde, and is about five foot six in his late 20s, early 30s. The other is described as a bigger man, both wearing bare coats. One had a green coat, army fatigue kind of looking jacket. The other had a black jacket. To this date, neither of these men have been identified or interviewed. Another theory is that it was a random robbery gone bad, but honestly, money was likely an afterthought given the level of violence in these murders. One of the girls may have known the killers, or maybe Sarah and Amy were followed from the mall to the yogurt shop. In 2017 and 2020, there have been resurgences of interest in the case with new DNA technology, but there haven't been any leads from these technologies. Only, again, like I said, going back, testing things, seeing that they are dead ends, and just leaving it at that. Looking back, the murders of the yogurt shop girls really did change the city of Austin. The then mayor called the murders the crime where Austin lost its innocence. The I Can't Believe It's Yogurt Shop closed, and the community put a plaque in the parking lot under an old oak tree memorializing Jennifer Harbison, Sarah Harbison, Amy Ayers, and Elizabeth Thomas, whose murderer or murderers have yet to be found. Of course, every place that I researched put this number. If you know anything or have any tips, 512-472-TIPS, T-I-P-S. Very important. Still could be solved. It's really not that old, and I'm really hoping it does get solved. It's it's interesting. It's not that long ago. Mm-mm. Obviously, there's closed circuit televisions a little more prevalent, and you know, I think it always goes back to like shoddy police work in yeah. in some way, shape, or form, intentional, non intentional, because a lot of it relies on them. And what I've kind of been gathering lately, and, and by no means an expert, is a lot of people are in certain places are learning how to do things when they happen. Mm -hmm. And there's not much information beforehand. Yeah. Like before the term serial killer, there was no term serial killer, I guess. Yeah. And it takes these really intense cases in these, in these areas that are not accustomed to it, or at least they haven't been, it's not public. No, Mm -hmm. nobody's found out. And really you don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's, you know, it's easy. You can plan, as much as you want until you have it in front of you and all the different different variables. But, you know, you've got to figure like there's had been more than one time in forensic and scientific crime history that a fire has been put out by a fire department. Yeah. Where they've had to kind of deal with that circumstance and that detail when trying to find things out. And, you know, when you kind of lock on to a couple of, of dudes that you think have done it. I wonder how much of that is 
this is the best we got and yeah. we want we don't want this to be hanging over our heads so we're just going to linger on this and it might be right but how much energy does that take away from I mean Austin's a pretty big city I, yeah. I know sometimes when it's a really small town it's like hey you're the one who does most of the crimes around here but Austin's a really really large city I don't know it just seems like these guys were confessing and not confessing and it really didn't I, I don't know how much validity there is to it I mean you know you kind of Hope it is because you hope you know who, yeah. who the person is, but you don't seem to know. And maybe it's kind of like, listen, whether it's them or not, it's them. And we have careers to, you know, we have to sign off on these things. And, you know, maybe we're not willing to let it go. That, But also it's like you're put in a position where it's like this is also the best best we have. Yeah. Well, also it's just like there is DNA at the crime scene collected. We don't know whose DNA that is. Let's find whose DNA that is. You know, it's like, how about we not try to see if these people match whatever. We have this right here. Let's figure out who this belongs to. And I think, you know, with the Night Stalker too, you know, the idea of having a a database and having things cataloged and being able to, this is not going anywhere. This specific unknown DNA is not going anywhere. How do we get a match? Let's try anything we can to get a match and not like double back and not like, look to these other avenues and figure it out. It's frustrating. Just on a lighter note, mm-hmm. I used to work at a TCBY. You did? Yeah, and I really enjoyed it. I really liked working there. Oh. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.